0: A few months ago, I was going through an old bin, and I actually discovered, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that guy, but I discovered some old, maybe I am that guy, I discovered some old high school playbooks from my football team, okay? Now, I don't, I don't keep everything, I have like two bins of stuff from way back, but for some reason I kept these old, you know, I mean, some of you have kept things from first grade, let's be honest. You, got, you, know, you know who you are. You've got the little thing that you, that you drew in first grade or kindergarten. and you, You've got that all the way up to college. You've got all your stuff, and that's great. So I've got a few things. Well, in this box, I found some old playbooks from high school. And it's amazing looking at them just how primitive they are. Uh, because these high school coaches, bless them, they were working with high schoolers. And they were trying to communicate things on a simple level. I'm not trying to insult my youth group down here. They're... they're, they're they're fantastic, but sometimes you got to keep stuff really simple uh, on a football field to make sure everybody's on the same page and people remember plays and so this this playbook looked like a sheet of paper it just had circles representing the people and arrows where you go really simple and so and it wasn't you know it wouldn't be many pages, maybe twenty or thirty pages, twenty or thirty plays really simple okay um and those of you that maybe some of you have been blessed to play on the a, on a next level or maybe you watch sports a lot and you've heard people talk about playbooks as you go old, these players, they don't just get on the field and just randomly decide what to do. They have a playbook. They have a game plan. And in this playbook, that's what, that's what your quarterback, he's got plays on his little wristband thing there. And, and now it's even to where you can communicate plays in the helmet. You've got these plays that are a part of this playbook um, and they get more and more complex the, the, the higher the competition level goes, uh, to the point that you have plays that are you know, 20, 30 words long, and you just try thinking about remembering all of that. I can barely remember now where I parked at the grocery store in the parking lot, and you, you've got these playbooks. But a playbook is very important. I caught some glimpses of some games on TV yesterday, and I'm reminded of, of two things regarding a team's playbook. Number one, you've got to know it. And number two, you've got to execute it. Otherwise, it it doesn't do any good. Now, I'm not going to call out any teams that many of us are familiar with, but um, there are many teams that struggle to know their playbook and to execute their plays. So why are we here? Do we have a playbook? Why are we studying this book? Are we studying this book just to pass the time? Or are we trying to know God's Word and to carry it out in our lives. You know, you can look at the Bible that way. I wouldn't boil it down to just a, a playbook, but that's a great illustration of, of, at times, how we need to treat the Bible. We've got to know this, and we've got to execute it. We've got to carry it out. It doesn't do any good just to walk around holding this as if something magical is going to happen. I've got my Bible. It's mystical. It's like a, you know, it's a charm, and it's going to just keep bad things away. No. It's not how the Bible's designed. It's designed to be a playbook that we learn from and we follow. We're going to take a look into the playbook of Paul this morning. But the questions we need to ask ourselves, the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we open, are we going to be open this morning to listen to what God has to say to us? And are are we going to commit to doing what he asks us to do? It's very easy we have to constantly remind ourselves it's very easy to come to a church service, to sit in the church service, and to go through motions. Are we going to execute the game plan? Having said that, let's, uh, let's read our text. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through, uh, we'll begin in verse 10 actually, uh, through the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in me. Join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you And now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this morning you would make your word clear to us. Please help me to communicate it, and I pray, God, that you would touch all of our lives and give us the conviction and the strength to go live out your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21, uh, one of the things that's really helpful is to figure out what is the main thing. If you're reading through Paul's letters, there's so much jam-packed in these letters that you can kind of get lost. And what we typically do in our society is we, we plug, out, plug out a little uh, phrase and we, we misinterpret that phrase and we use it for everything or we use it for nothing or we use it in the wrong way. And you have to understand, I have to understand, you have to understand what Paul's main points are and what the context is and what he's really referring to. Okay, so you just have to understand what he means. And the first thing that we have to figure out is in verse 12. In verse 12, what is it? What is it? Or if you're reading in the ESV, what is this? I have already, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. In verse 13, he says, It again. Brothers, I do not consider I have made it my own. What is it? If you can figure out what it is, it'll help you figure out what the passage is talking about. And so, if you're taking notes today, um, I, I recommend that you do so, because I'm going to give you a very simple outline of this second half of Philippians chapter 3 to help you uh, in your study, because it does boil down uh, to about four main areas. But it is about one particular subject, and what is it? And the answer is, it is likeness. Christlikeness. Being like Jesus. Being completely like Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about. Our goal in life as Christians is to become more like Christ. And that's what it means. And so concerning his brothers and sisters in Philippi becoming more Christ-like, and also us becoming more Christ-like, Paul speaks of four things in this passage. The first thing that he speaks of is is a past. He speaks of a past or the past in verses twelve and four and thirteen. Verses twelve and thirteen. He says not or, or, uh, um, verse thirteen. Excuse me, brothers. I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do: forgetting what lies behind. Paul wants us to be Christ-like, and part of the game plan, part of the playbook, is forgetting the past. Now, what does that mean? Well, we all have a past. Every person in here has a past. We have stories and events that make us us. Our past often defines us, whose child you are, who you married, how many children you have, big events that happened in life. And so what is Paul saying by forgetting what lies behind? What does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean forget your 10th birthday when grandpa got you a pony. Okay, it's not saying forget that. It's not saying uh, forget your wedding day. Uh, It's not saying forget the birth of your children. What Paul means is simply this. Forget anything, anything in your past that harms your growth as a Christian. Okay? Pretty simple, right? Forget anything in your past that harms your growth as a Christian. Pretty simple. What today, friends, is holding you back? from Jesus, from being who he wants you to be, from walking in victory. I know in my life I've had things that have tried to hold me back, things about me, things about my past. And I think all of us, if we want to sit and think about it, we have these things, and maybe, maybe we're not conscious of them all the time, maybe we're not thinking about them all the time, but, but sometimes they, they pop up and they hold us back. They remind us of why, why we supposedly can't be who God wants us to be. But usually they fall into one of three categories. They usually either fall into sin, category of sin, the category of suffering, or the category of success. First sin. I love passages like 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11 Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now you say, well, what's so great about that? Well, the next verse. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of God. We serve a God, friends, who is able and willing to forgive our sin through the cross and to forgive our past and to make us new. Amen? God is able to overcome our past. Amen? For those of you here, as Donnie mentioned in his prayer, You may be here today and you may say, Well, God can't overcome my past. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that no matter what sin you have committed, the blood that Jesus spilt on Calvary, on the cross, is precious enough, is perfect enough, is pure enough, is honored by God enough that His sacrifice can cover your sin. You can be forgiven of your past. Whatever laws of God you've broken, you can be forgiven. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's how we become free. Not by trying to be good and, and, and keep the rules, but by trusting in the one who kept the rules. By trusting in Jesus who can set us free. And so we can have sin in our past. And Paul's saying, you need to let go of that. You need to, to give that to the Lord, let him forgive you, and move forward. Now, some of you as I say that, because I know the wickedness of my heart, and I know human nature, people oftentimes will use that as an excuse to not deal with their sin. But it's in the past. I think we have a lot of that today. We have have so much talk of forgiveness and God loving us that nobody takes their sin seriously and nobody deals with their sins against other people. I don't think Paul's telling us to move on from that aspect of our sin. Sometimes, in order to grow as a Christian, we need to fix the sin that we've committed in the past we need to repent of that sin we need to make restitution we need to figure out how do i deal with this thing that i did wrong in the past and so god's not saying hey listen just move on doesn't matter what kind of damage you've done back then if you've done damage maybe god is leading you to fix that damage you have to seek his leading on that and so that is one qualification on it but in the sense of thinking that you can't be forgiven god says move forward trust in my son secondly suffering some of you've suffered a great deal some of you suffered a great deal you've had great hardship memories that can debilitate you at times paralyze you depress you whatever suffering you have let god use the redeemable elements of that suffering to grow you that takes His supernatural work. The world can't do that. Self-help books can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can find redeemable elements in your suffering. It's like Paul's thorn in the flesh. Only God can take something that, that causes, causes or has caused suffering in your life and turn that out for your good and turn that out for His glory. Leave behind the things about the suffering that holds you back. Some of you may have a victim mentality. Oh, well, I, this is just so bad in my life, and... And what that's doing is it's stirring up pride in your heart. It's stirring up self-pity in your heart. Why doesn't the world treat me the way that I deserve to be treated? And that's holding you back from being selfless and being sacrificial and being a servant as God wants you to be. Are you bitter? Are you bitter about something that happened in the past? Are you fearful because of something that happened in the past? Are you anxious? Are you struggling with anxiety because of things that happened in the past? maybe a way you were raised, maybe something that, 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 that just happened. Turn your eyes to Jesus and move forward. Paul said, I forget what lies in the past. Finally, when it comes to successes, this is the one we don't think about a lot, but sometimes our successes are what we need to leave in the past to move forward. For instance, let me ask you a question. Are you seeking fresh experiences with God each day? Resting in him today, seeking him today, or are you resting on your knowledge of him from a distance? Because you have this knowledge in your mind of who he is and what he's like, and the Bible studies you've been through, and the years you've sat in church, but are you seeking fresh experiences with him each day? If not, you need to leave that behind, you need to leave those successes behind. Realize your daily immediate need of a relationship with God. Humble yourself. Realize that your past successes can build confidence in Him, but it can't carry your relationship. I can look back to the past and I can gain strength and confidence. And I can stir up my trust in God and my zeal for Him, but that can't carry my relationship. I have to have, have, to have a daily, fresh relationship with Him where I'm spending time with Him final thing I want to mention on this point is the Apostle Paul in verse 12 mentions the most important thing about our past and we do need to hold on to this. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. This is the genesis of the Christian life, friends. This is what separates it from religion. Religion says, God gives you the rules, you keep the rules. Make yourself right with God. Have a relationship with God by keeping the rules. Paul says, though I'm working to keep the rules, I'm working to keep the rules, not because I'm trying to get to God, but because God came to me and He made me His own. Amen? There's a huge, glorious, eternally significant difference there. He has made me His own by His grace. Secondly, not only does Paul speak of the past, how to deal with that, but he speaks of the pursuit. He speaks of a pursuit. Verse 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. And he says this. Let all those who are mature. Think this way. Let them be people who press on. There's a couple errors that we can have. um, Especially in churches in the south. I just want to bring them to your attention. I brought them to your attention before. But. Dealing with the idea of pursuing Christ likeness. And pursuing Jesus. First error is that we can. We can uh, believe in perfectionism. But Paul is not perfect. And neither are we this side of heaven. But there are some people who either they actively teach that you can be perfect once you become a Christian, you can reach this state to where you just don't ever sin. Or many of us, even though we wouldn't call it that, we really can, can abuse ourselves for the fact that we still sin. And there's a, there's a difference there Between that and between repentance. Worldly repentance uh, looks like when you sin and it produces in you a desire to go get God's help to forgive you of your sin and then you you continually try to walk in victory after that. But a, a shaming guilt is when you, because you still sin, you turn inward and that's the only place that you look and so you continually beat yourself up over the sin that you've Committed, and you are not putting your faith in Jesus to forgive your sin. You see the difference there. And so, even though you would say, I don't believe intellectually in perfectionism, you act like you believe in perfectionism because you don't run to Jesus for the grace when you make a mistake. See what I'm saying there? And so, perfectionism is uh, a danger. It's a danger. Now I will say this the Bible says that if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. But what that looks like is that's a continual dependence on God. And I think walking in the Spirit um, and, and us not um giving in to the desires of the flesh, I still don't think Paul is in Galatians saying that we can be absolutely perfect and free from temptation and free from sin. Uh, in the way that we will be when we get to heaven. And we'll talk about that more uh, coming up. And so perfectionism is a danger. Uh, Paul is a man who, after decades of being a Christian, still calls himself a sinner, called himself the chief of sinners. And so be humble and realize that in some very serious ways, you and I, we're not Christ-like. And it's okay to say that. I think the outside world thinks that we think that we're completely Christ-like and we don't have sin and, and we're holier than, you know, we're, we're, we're self-righteous. But that's not what the Bible teaches, and I don't think that's what most of us believe. Most of us realize that we are sinners and that we're not perfect this side of heaven. And so we haven't arrived. We have no room to boast in any perfection that we have. The Bible says, let every man take heed lest he fall. In other words, be aware that you can fail. Be on guard so that you won't fall, and you'll stand. A second uh, error that we can have when it comes to pursuing Christlikeness is, is the idea of passivism. So you can have perfectionism, and then you can have passivism. Uh, passivism looks like a person that believes once saved, always saved, prayed a prayer in church one day, and then hasn't grown in Christ, barely comes to church, has no love of Jesus or the brethren, but still, when you talk to that person, they would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, because I prayed that prayer. Um, And so for them, Christianity is all about destination. We've preached such a a stripped-down gospel life and discipleship life to them that they think it's simply about destination, but destination is not the point of Christianity. Transformation is the point of Christianity. It's not just where we go, because if we aren't changed when we get there, what's the point? Transformation is God's goal in our lives. To overcome sin in our lives, to make us to be more like Christ, transformation is the goal. And certainly, once saved, always saved, is true regarding justification, that that when, when Jesus saves us, We are declared righteous by God, and we're in a relationship that can never be touched. But the thing that people miss is if you are saved. What does it mean to be saved? If you are saved, it will produce a transformation in your life. If you're saved, and it doesn't produce a transformation in your life over a period of days and weeks and months and years, if you can look back and there's been no change at all in your life and no change in your heart, no love for God, no love for the people around you. and the truth is you're not saved. You're just religious. You just pray to prayer. You just think you're okay with God. And so passivism is a big danger. I talked about sports a little bit ago. Paul uses uh, sports illustrations all the time. I think Paul was a big sports fan, apparently. Uh, or the world was you know, they were all big sports fans. And Paul was trying to reach them. But regardless, he uses sports illustrations all the time. And here, he uses uh, the wording of a runner focused on the finish line. Uh, he uses uh, the word for goal in verse 14 is actually the word scopos. Okay, scopos is the, where we get the word scope from, okay? And so that's kind of appropriate during deer, deer season, I guess. Um, and so scopos, it, it's, uh it's where's your target? Where's your focus? And so the idea is, what are you running toward? Paul says, I'm not, I don't think I'm perfect, and I'm not going to be passive. I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to pursue Christ-likeness. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. The Christian life isn't just about showing up. It's about living out. It's fighting and striving daily to become like Jesus. And so, what is your main pursuit? What are you pursuing right now? What is your goal? Is your pursuit um, something at your job? Is your pursuit something with your family? Is your pursuit something with your pleasure? You should have no pursuit in life that trumps your pursuit of Jesus and being like Him. And I don't just mean check it off Is in my mind I think that's a priority. But your daily desire should be this pursuit third paul not only speaks of the past he speaks of the pursuit and he speaks of a pattern he speaks of the pattern verses 17 18 and 19 brothers join in imitating me keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us for many of whom i've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of christ their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. In verses 18 and 19, Paul, in tears, he gives us a contrast. He says, imitate me, but I've told you before that there are different types of people in the world, and, and people that aren't pursuing Christ, if there, there's many in the world that are enemies of Christ, and, and here's what they look like. Don't follow them. Don't follow them. In Romans 7, Paul is writing of the battle that he has in his daily life to live out God's calling, his battle with sin and his battle with his love for God. And Paul's a sinner. But he's a sinner living in victory to become more like Jesus. And therefore, he's somebody that we can follow. If he were perfect, we couldn't follow him. And so he gives us this contrast of these enemies of the cross And friends, when when Paul's saying that he has tears, don't just gloss over that. Think think what we prayed about this morning. Think Think about this enemy of this Texas church. Paul is in tears, and he feels the same way about the enemies of the cross of Jesus, the same way that people in that community feel about this enemy. Anger, sadness, grief. He's crying as he's writing this. He's burdened as he's writing this. And though most enemies of the cross in our country will never be violent, there's still many who worship their own pleasure and the glories of this world, not the glories of their creator. You need to stay away from those. Try to reach them, influence them, fine. But don't let them influence you away from Christ. Are you intentionally looking for guides or encouragers in your walk with Christ? I understand how things get busy, but I want to point out something very important. This is, this is a command of Paul to imitate him and to look and to find others who have Christ-like character, who are pursuing Jesus, and to follow them, to get help with him. And I think this is one of the big problems in our culture of Christianity because we have a show up, sit down, listen, get up and leave culture. You, need, you and I both need to be, we need to be intentional about surrounding ourselves with people who can take us to the next level of following Jesus. But let me, let me be real blunt and honest, though. If you don't invest in the community of people that are following Christ, and you don't set your eyes to look for those people, and you don't engage, and you don't pursue them, it'll never happen. You'll just be a come-and-sit-and-attend type of Christian. But if you want victory, you will intentionally seek out and pursue people who can take you to the next level in following Christ. You say, well, you know, I, you know, I, that's just not happening for me. Just haven't. Well, you pursue football. You pursue golf. You pursue your paycheck. You pursue your kids' activities. You pursue your own hobbies. You and I pursue every single thing that we want to. But for some reason, when it comes to being discipled by somebody or or Surrounding ourselves with people who know how to follow Christ, somehow we just throw our hands up and say it hasn't happened. I think a lot of it is we're not being honest to say we're not pursuing this. We're not doing what Paul is commanding. Imitate me and keep your eyes on those who are following Christ and imitate them as well. So what are you pursuing? Are you intentionally looking for the people that Paul is talking about? It doesn't have to be somebody that's got it all together. It may just be somebody that's better in one area than you are. Maybe you go to them and you say, listen, how, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you do that with your kids? Because this isn't working for us, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for ideas. Or how do you do such a good job at, at, at work? It seems like you're always joyful at work. You're working for Jesus, and, and you're able to connect with people. How are you doing that? Maybe it's a, a sin you're dealing with. Man, I'm just struggling with anger, but you just seem like you're a person that, that you just don't get angry. How, how, are you, how are you being so peaceful all the time? You have resources. You have resources. Maybe they're not at this church, but they're in this community. And God will provide those resources to you. And so go looking. Finally, last, Paul speaks of a perfection. A past, a pursuit, a pattern, and a perfection. Verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Perfection means that one day we will not struggle against sin, and one day those same fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those characters that make Jesus Christ so beautiful, we will have them as well. We'll never be God like Jesus is God, but His character. This is the beautiful thing about Christianity, that He's going to give those things to us. He's going to allow us to be perfect in that way, to to be who man was created to be, who woman was created to be. And Paul closes this section of his playbook with something that's absolutely crucial. To our victory as Christians in our pursuit of Christ-likeness and that is this he turns our eyes to put our hope in another person not ourselves so often I think in our churches we leave with a list of things that we have to do and what that does especially in young people is it gives them the idea that Christianity is no different than other religion that give them a list of rules this is why everything we do is the church Every conversation you are in with somebody in the community, somebody that doesn't know Jesus, somebody that's a family member, if you talk about the rules, make sure you end the conversation or at some point in the conversation, you're turning their eyes to the Savior. You're turning their eyes to the one who can help them. Because at the end of the day, we can't help ourselves enough. We have already dug the hole. We need Jesus to get us out of it. And that's what Paul does in this final section of this chapter he turns our eyes to jesus because at the end of the day friends and at the beginning we can strive for perfection we can strive for purity we can strive for the joy that god created for us in christ and we can make progress but as long as we are away from our home where our real citizenship is as long as we are this side of heaven our victory will not be complete no matter how hard we try and that's what paul is giving us as a hope today He's giving us verses 20 and 21. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our victory is certain, friends. That's what we rejoice in today. Our victory is certain because He won the victory. Is your hope today in the return of King Jesus? And I don't mean, do you think about that hope every couple of Sundays? Just like I said a while ago. Do you daily have an excitement, an expectation, a peace, a relief, a joy that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back here and he's going to bring an end to this world that we know? Or are you locked in to the idea that the world has as you just get up and everything's normal, you're just pursuing the world's patterns? Friends, we know a different truth. We know what's really going to happen. He's coming back, and He's going to change us. What a great hope for us to have. As children of God, our hope has to be daily in the final victory that Jesus will bring. Paul tells us how to deal with the past. He tells us how to pursue Jesus in Christ likeness. He tells us what pattern we're supposed to follow. And he tells us, he gives us a hope that one day Jesus is going to bring the perfection that we're all longing for. And so to close this morning, I want, uh, I want to read 1 Corinthians 50 through 58. Paul's talking about what's going to happen on that day and very encouraging verses. Please listen carefully. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God Nor can corruption inherit corruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together. This life is not in vain if we know you, Father. Though we are constantly tempted by our past, Tempted to be passive, tempted by sin all around, and to not believe in the victory that you've bought for us with the blood of your Son. I pray, God, that this morning you will help everyone in this room to have that victory in Jesus and to know that victory in a fresh new way again. Yeah. Father, Will you touch our hearts today and allow us to worship you and allow us to exit this place in an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of expectation? We don't know when you're going to send Jesus back, but we rejoice in that day. We rejoice in the day, God, that the struggle will be over. We rejoice in the day that death will be no more. We rejoice in the day that your enemies will be conquered and there will be everlasting, ultimate, glorious, joyful peace with you. We thank you for your love that you poured out on us. You are worthy, God, of worship and praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.